and welcome back to Catching Up on Capitol Hill, a series in which we discuss the latest in tax legislation and in tax policy. I am your host, John Gimigliano. Well, welcome to 2021 and the first of what will be, no doubt, quite a few episodes this year. Yes, 2021 more or less picked up where 2020 left off. Obviously, what we saw in the Capitol building this week was just beyond comprehension for all of us, and maybe especially for those of us who worked in that building nearly every day during our time working on Capitol Hill. There was much to say about what happened on Wednesday, but if you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know that we'll leave almost all of it for other people to say. But since it is what we do, we should at least ask the question of what this week's events might mean for the tax agenda. So we will. But of course, the biggest news in our world this week is that Democrats won both of the Georgia Senate runoff seats, thereby giving Democrats control of the House, control of the Senate, and control of the White House. This, of course, dramatically increases the likelihood that at least some parts of the Biden tax plan, as we discussed in episodes throughout much of 2020, could now become law. Well, you ask, you know, which ones, how soon, uh, and how? That's going to be the question for much of 2021, and we can't fully answer that question today, of course, but we can begin to, and that's our topic. To tackle this, we are joined by our good friends, Jen Acuna and Tom Stout. Okay, so let's get into this discussion. Tom, let me start with you. Joe Biden will be sworn in as the president on January 20th, and when that happens, Democrats will take control of the Senate by virtue of having Vice President Kamala Harris as the 51st tie-breaking vote in the Senate. So what then? That's the next question. Are taxes going to be high on the legislative agenda there on January 21st when Democrats show up for work? What do you think they start with? There's no doubt that taxes are an important part of the Biden agenda. He campaigned on addressing wealth inequality and creating jobs. And everybody probably recalls no Democrats in the Congress voted for the TCJA. So reversing a lot of the tax cuts in the TCJA is certainly on the agenda, and we've talked about all that before. That being said, it's one of many priorities that the Democrats have, some of them probably more pressing. I think out of the box, we're likely to see something on the rebate checks, which the, the Democrats had talked about increasing to $2,000. More COVID-19 relief is going to be necessary. That's you know, We've got the expiration of unemployment benefits coming in March. And then they've already named their HR1, HR2, and HR3 bills, which are electoral reform, more health care reform, and then addressing climate change and infrastructure. All of those are probably higher priorities at the moment or more media priorities than tax. So it may be a while before we get around to the tax issues. And, you know, of course, the other things going on are whether they need revenue to pay for other programs, which hasn't happened yet because these other things haven't been enacted, and the state of the economy. So a lot of things that may slow down when they get to tax, although they will clearly get to it at some point. So what you said was taxes, we'll get to the point of what are they going to pay for and whether taxes will be a part of that. But I guess you're saying that taxes aren't everything, Tom, that there are some other priorities that you mentioned that really probably aren't going to implicate taxes that could be at the top of the priority list. Is that right? Right, at least until they need money to pay for them. 
Fair enough. Good point. Okay. Well then, Jen, let's come back to the first thing Tom mentioned, because I think we're all kind of in agreement. I think it's conventional wisdom, and sometimes conventional wisdom is right, uh, that the first thing that a democratically controlled Congress, along with the Biden administration, will come to after January 20th is another round of stimulus slash COVID relief. So we don't know exactly what that would include, but hey, let's speculate. What do you think might be in another round of COVID, keeping in mind that we just did a bill in December? That is a good question because a lot of the discussion surrounding a follow-up bill has been centered around additional state funding and direct payments, so increasing that top-up from the $600 that was passed in December to $2,000 per person and unemployment insurance. There was an extension passed in December, but it isn't particularly long-term. So those are the three main items I would expect to be considered for a potential inclusion in a COVID bill. But of course, as we know, in the Senate, you need 60 votes to pass any piece of legislation unless you're in a reconciliation scenario. So it's going to be interesting how much can be included before it muddies the waters to passage. A couple things to unpack there. I don't think I heard you say in there that let's just say this is a trillion or trillions of additional funding. They're not going to pay for this, right? There's no tax increases included in this as an offset to those payments. Is that correct? No. I mean, traditionally, emergency legislation, which this would be classified as, is not paid for. So these would be, let's just call them free passes with respect to whether or not you need to pay for any of these items. So the Biden proposals that we've talked about that would raise revenue, still out there, still in play, but probably not as part of this first COVID bill. Okay, so now let's come back to this question of, do you think there are, I mean, it depends on what the bill looks like, but is there a chance that there won't be 60 votes for this kind of package and that they wouldn't be able to move it through the Senate, at least by regular process of moving legislation? That's quite possible. There's a lot of disagreement among Senate Republicans in particular with respect to unemployment insurance, lesser so than with the direct payments. The size of the direct payments and whether or not to include direct payments at all was something that was hotly contested in December. So I wouldn't expect that to change dramatically between now and whenever a new piece of COVID legislation is intended to pass. And as we know, you know, we had President-elect Biden specifically stating that they want to pass this $2,000 direct payment within the first few weeks of the administration. So I would expect that there would be some serious negotiations going on to get those 60 votes. And Tom, let me bring you in here on this question. So another longstanding major Democratic priority has been money for state and local governments. Do you think that that's something that Democrats would like to get into this next round of COVID bill? And I guess there's a separate question. If, if it is, can that get 60 votes? I think as to the first question, I think it's sort of a sine qua non of the, the Democratic proposal. They're going to have to put state and local in this bill, which is Jennifer suggested. It's going to make it very difficult to get 60 votes through the Senate. So that means going to budget reconciliation. They're also going to be looking for more unemployment benefits, probably in excess of the $300 a week that was included in the legislation last month and for a lot longer period of time, probably at least through 2021. So that all adds to the bottom line dollars and contributes to the controversy over whether providing more unemployment benefits discourages people from going back to work, which was the basis for the Republican opposition to it. So I think reconciliation is is probably going to be necessary to get that bill done. 
Okay, so if you can get 60 votes on this COVID bill, they do that. It passes under regular order, and then they can move on. If they can't get 60 votes, then they have to fall back on budget reconciliation. We've talked about this in prior episodes, but this is one of the exceptions to the 60-vote rule, whereby you can still pass legislation with 51 votes, but it has to be done as part of this mind-numbingly complex process of budget reconciliation. So let's just play that out. If they don't get the 60, they move on to budget reconciliation, How exactly does that play out? So, for example, when and how would all that happen? Well, they've got a clock ticking on this. The current unemployment benefit, the the supplemental federal benefit, expires uh, mid-March. This can be a lot of pressure for the Democrats to get that done by the end of February. Budget reconciliation is a complicated procedure, but given the urgency of it, I think we're still likely to see it happen probably by sometime in February, maybe mid-February. That's kind of fast. In my view, the House has to approve a budget. The Senate has to approve a budget. They have to reconcile that budget. They have to include reconciliation instructions. They have to decide on the size of the reconciliation instructions. They have to sort of earmark, you know, kind of what's going to be in that. You think that's possible as soon as February, or is it going to take longer than that? Well, you know how it works up there. They work on deadline, and it may not be pretty, but I think it's likely that they get something done despite the complexity of what they're trying to do. Well, that's a fair point, and sometimes the pressure is there. So, Jim, let me ask you for your recollection, because you were working on the Senate Finance Committee assembling the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which also required budget reconciliation to get through. How hard was that to do? I guess when there's a lot of pressure, it makes it easier to do, but it's still a complex process. What do you think about how quickly reconciliation can come together? It's extremely complex, and that's even before you get into crafting the bill. You have to settle on a budget amount. And if there is a desire for the reconciliation bill to be deficit financed, how much? Right. I mean, I I know with respect to TCJA, the tax reconciliation bill, there are weeks of haggling over what the right amount of deficit spending should be. I mean, that's before you even get to what you include in the bill. So I would look at a longer term view further into the spring maybe summer, fall. So reasonable minds differ on this. We always say that on January 1st of a year, you can start circling dates. They're going to be big dates for legislation. There's always that last day in session before they leave for August recess. Obviously, the last day in session before they break for the year is another good one to circle. And there are other breaks along the way, some in the spring, that could sort of bear out Tom's timing, but others that could bear out your timing as well, Jen. This is why this is going to be interesting to watch and see how this plays out over the course of the year. Sometimes you have to play the games, as they say. Okay, Jim, let me come back to you with sort of one last question for today. Tom set up this scenario whereby Democrats try and do a COVID bill can't get to 60 votes, move on to reconciliation, use the reconciliation vehicle to do COVID plus whatever. Let's play out this scenario, though, where maybe Democrats, they go small ball on their COVID bill, knowing that they can get that through with 60 votes if they keep it smaller. And then they reserve reconciliation for something else. Talk to us about what that looks like. What do you think happens in that context where they get the COVID bill kind of out of the way and now they're on to reconciliation for whatever's next on the agenda? Yeah, I mean, if you are able to eliminate some of those big ticket items, the big COVID items, then you can move to more policy-directed items like health care. That has been something that's at the top of the agenda. As Tom mentioned, you know, there's big infrastructure and green energy initiatives that were a significant part of the campaigning in the fall. 
So those would be the items that I would expect to see. Of course, as I mentioned before, reconciliation, are, it's extremely restricted. So a lot of these items cost trillions of dollars. So there's going to have to be a lot of budgeting. And, you know, usually when budgeting is involved and costs need to be kept down, there have to be pay-fors. And there are only a few ways to raise a dollar, as we like to say, and tax is one of them. So you would expect for there to be a significant revenue component if there was a desire to move some of these expensive policies in reconciliation, which I would imagine could be on the plate. Tell me if I've got my math right here, Jen. The TCJA reconciliation vehicle was budgeted to $1.5 trillion. In other words, they could add $1.5 trillion to the deficit. However, the TCJA in itself had far more than $1.5 trillion in tax cuts in it. It had closer to $5.5 trillion in tax cuts and therefore had to find about $4 trillion in tax increases to net out to the $1.5. Is that the way it went where it was really bigger than the budgeted amount because you had offsets to enable additional revenue losers? That's exactly right. So when you talk about the deficit allowance for a reconciliation bill, that's on net, right? That's after you net out all of the expenditures and all of the revenue increases. So it was 1.5 deficit within the 10-year window. And remember, if there's a deficit, it has to be within that window. It cannot go on beyond the window. And it's on net. So, I mean, it was a much bigger bill than $1.5 trillion. And I would expect to see something similarly large in a potential reconciliation bill this year. Does that sound right to you, Tom, that the Republicans having set the precedent with the TCJA of basically spending, air quotes, the $1.5 trillion in reconciliation that Democrats would say that they should spend at least that much or more? Those numbers actually match up pretty well with the Biden tax plan overall, which is sort of big numbers looking at what the tax policy center has estimated, raise about $3 trillion and lose about a trillion. So you've got about a $2 trillion net revenue increase. So, you know, that that sort of matches up well with the the $1.9 trillion that the TCJA ended up losing. Well, just to try and put a bow on what we talked about today, first thing, you know, likely to see something on COVID. Big question. How big will that bill be? Can it get 60 votes or not? Because that really gives Democrats an important fork in the road. They get 60 votes. They can move on to other priorities. If they can't, then they're going to have to use that reconciliation bill that we suspect is coming to do their COVID relief. Otherwise, then they can get on to bigger policy priority items. And almost certainly attached to that, that reconciliation bill will be tax increases. Some of the, the, the Biden proposals we've talked about. It's important to remind everybody, too, there can be two reconciliation bills, one for spending, which was what they used for the the COVID relief bill, and then a second one later for revenue for the tax business. True, but you usually see them together, right, Tom, because you kind of need the tax increases to make the spending bill go in some way. So having them divided doesn't work as well as having one offsetting the other and netting it out, as Jen said. That would be, yeah, that would be a complication. Well, that's really all we have time for today. Much more to come on this topic, and I mean really much more in the coming weeks and months. I know today included a lot of speculation. There is just such little concrete information right now. There's just no way around that. So, for instance, what might be in that infrastructure bill that seems to be on the horizon? If I told you that it could be $1.5 trillion and that it would include investment in transportation, energy, broadband, schools, state and local funding, housing, health care, and water, 
that it would include dozens of tax measures, including expansions of the low-income housing tax credit and refundability of renewable energy tax credits. You might say that's as good a guess as any. But here's the thing. It's not a guess. I know looking at the development of tax legislation, it often looks like chaos, and then proposals seem to materialize from nowhere. But really, that's rarely the case. If you are paying attention, and if you are reading between the lines, these things are usually telegraphed in some way. So back to infrastructure. Not many people noticed last June when the democratically controlled House released an infrastructure bill, the Moving Forward Act. And why should they? It obviously had no chance to go anywhere in what was then a divided Congress. No doubt, the House Democrats who assembled the bill knew that. But that wasn't really the point. The point was to lay down a marker saying, elect us, and this is what you will get. Well, Democrats were elected, and we now have a guidepost of where things are headed. I mention all this in part to say, if infrastructure is important to you, go read the Moving Forward Act. But I also do this to say the mysteries of the legislative process are not as mysterious as they appear. Yes, there is often chaos, but there is a discernible rhythm to the chaos. So we should all be prepared to get with the beat in 2021. So with that, thanks again for tuning in to Catching Up on Capitol Hill. Take care, and I hope to see you soon.